Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Oracle. Today, we're sitting down with Kevin McShann from Let's Have This Conversation. And Kevin is a very interesting um, young man. I'm going to call him a young man because he has compared to me. Um, we had a really great conversation when it came to, uh, you know, dealing with disabilities, overcoming obstacles, fostering inclusion and diversity because of his disability, equality and equity in the workplace from disabilities, physical disabilities, fitness success while living with a disability and making fitness a priority. Now, Kevin brings a very interesting, um, perspective to this whole game when it comes to health and wellness and, me and mental states because he is physically disabled and um while the conversation may be a little i don't want to use the, i don't want to use the word or the term hard or difficult um listen to what he has to say he has he has a wealth of knowledge uh, from personal experience because of his disability and he's very inspirational. I, I loved interviewing him. He's a joy to talk to. Um, I'm sure you guys will feel the same way as usual. Grab a pen and paper, grab a cup of Joe and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people, just like you, with real stories, just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Kevin McShan from Let's Have This Conversation podcast. Though Kevin's experience is in sports, journalism, podcasting, and advocating for those with disabilities, he brings an exciting blend of education, experience, and entertainment to the motivational speaking industry. Kevin, welcome to the show. John, it's fabulous to be here, and uh, thanks for letting me hang out with you this weekend. I'm excited about it, buddy. That's going to be a great show. I, I can feel it. I can feel it's brewing. Uh, how's back? Uh, how's back in Canada? How's Windsor, Ontario? I haven't been to Windsor in years. Windsor is doing just great. We're, we're getting up into the uh, mid eighties today, and uh, we're, we we value summer around here, John, as you know, because in Canada we get uh, all four seasons, so we value summer more than most people, right? I'll be honest with you. It's uh, it's it's one of the seasons that I used to look forward to so often, so many times, but now being here in uh, south 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 Florida, it's um, getting a little uh, redundant. Not re I wouldn't say redundant. I'd say more more on the lines of spoiled. Oh well, well you can look <laughs> at it that way as well. Yeah, I, I love Florida too. It's, it's eighty degrees and sunny almost every day down there, right? Actually, today it hit the hundreds. So. Oh, well, you're right in the middle of summer, right? Yeah, so. we're right in the dead smack middle of, of summer here. Um, I asked this question for a lot of my guests, and I'm just curious, uh, you know, what got you into this line of work that you do with your podcast and your company? You know, uh, 
the podcast actually started, uh, I'll, I'll give you a funny story. It started because uh, I was laid off from a job because of COVID a week before I was to start a new, uh, so I, I used to be uh, the ambassador for a program called the Discoverability Network, which was an online a job matching portal for individuals with disabilities and employers to uh, get connected. Get connected, and a week before my uh, uh, contract was supposed to start, a COVID hit, so I had some extra time, uh, uh, and I wanted to sort of release my creative energy, so I started the podcast and. May of 2020, and uh, I am just uh, under 15 episodes shy of uh, uh, 500 episodes for the endeavor. So what got me into it was, uh, uh, first of all, I wanted something to do other than watch Netflix during COVID, right? So, uh, but I wanted a, 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 an avenue or a vehicle to have authentic conversations about the new cycle that moves the needle of progress. So that, that's what inspires me to do the work that I do with the podcast. That's awesome. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I too started my podcast because of COVID um, for different reasons, but we won't get into that. Uh, have there been times where you've wanted to quit? A podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, during the editing process. No, I'm kidding. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, I look at, at podcasting as an opportunity. Uh, and, you know, uh, John, as you know, I was born with uh, uh, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Uh, so having a podcast and having a vehicle for uh, social uh, conversation and interaction, actually, I view as a, a bonus because it's an extension of sort of a Social life in my my way of sort of, of extending the arm of conversation and camaraderie and building the community. So I look at podcasting not as not as a chore, but as a as a uh, vehicle to continue the op- opportunity and conversation for inclusion, uh, but certainly. Uh, to be a, a successful podcaster, and you know this, you have to have some level of commitment and uh, you have to uh, have some level of, of cohesion in terms of when you release episodes and being consistent with your messaging and branding. So it, it is a lot of work, but I, I look at it as a chance to further promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I try to cover a, a wide range of topics on my podcast. Uh, so I look at it as a net positive rather than a net negative. That's awesome. And for you to be at like short of 500 episodes, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Because uh, yeah. there's times where I'm like, uh, like you said, like with the editing stuff, it's like, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> yes. Well, well, it teaches you discipline and it teaches you to keep a schedule, doesn't it? 
Yes, it does. Yes, 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 it does. Uh, and it's so easy for, for us to say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to take the rest of the day off. But uh, when you got an episode scheduled for release, it's like you got to make sure everything is all your ducks in the row. Um, it's, um, it's interesting because like we all have our own special obstacles uh, that life throws at us. And always the, like my aunt was down here. Uh, for 10 days and she just went back uh, at the time of the re this recording she, she went back home in, to Toronto uh, yesterday so like I had other obstacles that were thrown in thrown into play but I'm sure that you have your own unique obstacles uh, what kind of obstacles have you seen in the past that um you've had to deal with, with, uh, with your cerebral palsy? Well, uh, uh, I must tell you, um, <laughs> we got all the time that you need. <laughs> uh, you know, a life is, I look at life as a, a grand adventure. And, you know, the way I look at my disability is this. I always tell, tell myself, I can either make my circumstances work for me or I can work my circumstances. So, yeah, uh, my disability affects things like muscle movement, muscle dexterity, uh, my endurance, and my ability to walk. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you uh, the story uh, that changed my life. I know we were going to get into this a little bit later, but I'll give you a sort of a preview, and you can follow up if you wish. But the event that changed my life uh, Jonathan, happened when I, I was uh, nine or ten years old. Um, I had just come back from uh, Times Valley Children's Hospital in London, where all of my uh, surgeries were uh, performed. Uh, and the doctor, before we had left the hospital in London, he had brought myself and my parents into a uh, conference room at the hospital, and he said, Medically, there was nothing else that doctors could do for me, and I would have to use a wheelchair and a walker uh, for the rest of my life to be mobile. So uh, as I was going through that process of processing that information, I had to go back to elementary school, and I, and I credit uh, my elementary school principal uh, because when uh, her name was Dr. Carol Krulin, uh, and uh, I credit her because I went back to school and she had everyone in her office that was in charge of my file, from social workers to therapists to teachers, and they were all gathered in the table, and my parents were there, and she looked at me uh, after I had explained the story of what the doctor had told me and my parents, well, she already knew, but it was a cathartic experience for me to get it out. And she looked at me and she said, the only limitations on your life are the artificial ones that you place on yourself. So, yes, I have physical limitations, but I also have a, a different perspective uh, and a different way of solving problems. So I look at life, you know, Jonathan, I, I live my life through the saying that inclusion is the gateway to independence. So I look at my life as an extension of, uh, from a 
definition of success is. So obstacles are, are what you, you look at them as, but I look at obstacles as another way to find opportunities in life. I absolutely love that. I, I love uh, how the principal said uh, that whatever limitations that you have, you place on yourself. And uh, she's 1000% right. Um, how have you changed that, that message that you heard so many years ago to help others? Uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, one of my biggest passions in life is making sure that uh, folks with disabilities are uh, gainfully employed. Uh, I, you know, here in Canada, uh, Jonathan, people with disabilities are underemployed by a clip of 59% more than their non-disabled counterparts. And you know, once you give a person a job, you all you also provide them with a sense of uh, not only financial security, but societal inclusion and a sense of belonging. So to answer that question in the short term, I, I look at uh, my podcast, and the other work that I do to advocate for folks with disabilities is important work because it, it, it gives them a chance uh, to be heard and it also gives them a chance to uh, provide their own uh, perspective on how the world works. That, that's, um, that, that's really great. Uh, we're going to get a lot, a lot more deeper into uh, how the workplace views people with physical disabilities, and um, how they can actually um, improve on their practices if they need to improve. Uh, I, I think that there's a few companies out there that are pretty pretty good with that stuff. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Um, I want to focus a little bit longer on this overcoming obstacles because um, obstacles, like, we see them all the time. Uh, they come in different, they come in different forms, different different, uh, different, different colors, different, different shapes, different everything. What are some of the obstacles that you've had to help some people with? You know, I, I, I think the biggest one when you have a physical uh, disability and any sort of disability is the attitudinal barriers, not only in employment, but also in societal life, you know, Leveling the playing field starts with um, increasing the understanding and, and uh, embracing diversity as a strength of, of people. You know, when I worked in inclusive employment, Jonathan, I always uh, told employers that it's sometimes important to fit the job to the person instead of fitting the person to a job. You know, sometimes they have to able and willing to adaptability is a big strength, whether it's in your personal or professional life. So I think the biggest thing that I help or attempt to help people overcome is the attitudinal barriers and also giving them the strength and conviction within themselves to set goals, to set goals that really matter and move their own uh, definition of a needle of progress. Because, you know, I always say that everyone's portrait of success is different. So changing the attitudinal barriers really 
mind is to a prosperity in life because prosperity for me is is, is different than what would be for other people. So I think it, it's creating an environment where we can shift attitudes and, and expectations of society and the person at large because, you know, I, I always say if you're struggling with a job search or if you're struggling just generally in life, uh, you have the power to write your own narrative of your own story. So whatever you're going through in life, whether you have a disability or not, uh, at the end of the day, you can seek counsel from other people and you can seek advice to uh, make informed decisions. But the first thing you have to do when you have a disability is build your wall of inner strength, which can't be penetrated by anyone else but yourself. Because if you build a wall of inner strength, Jonathan, you then have the opportunity to build the self-confidence even when barriers or, or shortcomings arise. And you have the knowledge and strength and power within yourself to overcome any obstacles that you might face. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I, I'm, I completely agree with you with that. Um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, weak people out there. Um, and just because the way society has made us to, you know, be comforted and stuff like that. Um, are there any tools that you, that you use to help um, build that, inner strength that those inner walls that you just talked about with, uh, with yourself and with others? Yeah. So I, uh, for myself personally, I have a five-step system to when I set a goal and I use this in my personal life. So why are you setting a goal? Why is it important that you're setting a goal? When you answer that question, then it comes to, What's the outcome that you're trying to achieve? Uh, what's the timetable that you're giving yourself to achieve the goal? And what are the resources uh, that you have to achieve the goal? And is there a community of support that you need to create in order to accomplish the goal that you set out uh, to accomplish? And, what sort of intellectual or brain power do you already have to solve the problem or to ascend the goal that you've um, created uh, for yourself to completion? So that's sort of the system that I use when setting uh, goals in my uh, personal and professional life. What about the days that are just, you know, hard? You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I just, I, I don't feel like doing it. I want to feel sorry for myself. Do you have any tools to help people get out of that kind of mindset? Because that, that just, that, that affects a lot of people. You know, Jonathan, I, I, I believe very strongly in the power of perseverance. And, you know, having a disability and my particular form of disability, um, I, I deal every day with uh some form of social uh, exclusion just because of 
it's not uh, particularly easy for me to get up and uh, go to uh, a function without uh, a, a pre-planned schedule. It's not. Uh, I always say that um, I create my own level of spontaneity if I have the resources to do it. So, um, you know, I attempt, you know, one of the reasons I started the podcast was to eliminate uh, some uh, forms of social isolation. But, uh, you know, in, in a nutshell, I, I think that when you go through isolation, whether it be social, economic, or, or, or societal, I think, there are three principles to overcoming that. And for me, it, it always starts with the end goal in mind. What's the end goal? Where, where are you at in achieving the end goal? And when you want to get over the hump or over the isolation, you just have to uh, view that as your moment of prosperity. So, when you have those moments, you have the motivation and fuel to uh, persevere. So the first is recognizing what the end goal is, and then uh, setting yourself up with a framework uh, to persevere. And then it's about creating the conditions to uh, celebrate the, accompli uh, the accomplishments you've made. So again, it's about uh, where you are now, uh, where you want to persevere to, and uh, how are you going to celebrate the wins that you've accomplished after you've overcome the adversity. We're going to be switching gears a little bit now. We're going to be talking a little bit about fostering inclusion and diversity, and we're going to be talking a lot about the workplace. Um, when it comes to the workplace, you hear this a lot when it comes from uh, workplace environments that they're trying to change the culture and trying to, um, you know, make it uh, a culture-based workplace. What does that, what does that mean to you? It means creating the conditions for success. You know, one of, it's one thing to put on the end of a job application that, or an equal opportunity employer. But if you don't implement the practices to do that, uh, then you're just checking up a, a, a box that the government says you have to because uh, you have to make people feel included. So it, it's about creating the culture to, to be successful. And once you feel that you've created the culture, it's about implementing it, uh, authentically and that means actually hiring people that don't look like you that don't have the same perspective as you do or uh, to, uh, uh, because you know I, I think there's value in diversity and, and that comes from varying perspectives if you look look like if, if the people that work for you look like you and think like you and have the same approach to life, then the, then the uh, object of diversifying is an accomplice because then you just create a, a condition or an environment that you're, you're comfortable in. So 
So creating an inclusive culture also uh, sometimes has to start with creating uh, conditions to make the status quo uncomfortable. And when you do that, when you hire inclusively, you're, you're given uh, an inside edge or an inside advantage of creating a competitive edge over your competition because uh, the uh, perspectives you gain by uh, hiring people with different perspectives is not only a smart thing for your business, it's not only the right thing to do, but in today's world, it's the practical thing to do because so many people are out of work uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, and that's only uh, exasperated for people with disabilities. So when you create an inclusive culture, you're doing a couple of things. You're, you're, you're um, increasing morale of the staff that you uh, already have. You're reducing uh, the turnover cost that you have to hire people uh, because uh, the, the amount of time you have to uh, been training people is is uh, eliminated because uh, people with disabilities want to stay longer, and you're also uh, creating a condition where you're creating again a competitive edge over uh, people who have uh, that closed-minded mindset. So it, it's a, a smart business decision for sure uh, to hire. Uh, People with disabilities, and you know, one of the things that I am uh, working so hard to get employers to understand is hiring inclusively doesn't mean that it's a charity act or a charitable act, it just means that it's a smart business decision. Do you think that um, it's the right move for a business owner to hire the person with the best qualifications. Well, qualification, and, and yeah. I mean, I mean that loosely because I, because I mean that as in without regardless of any physical, mental disabilities, without the without without any um, 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 prejudice because based off of skin color, race, religion, the best abilities for the job. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jonathan, I'm not a huge fan of creating silos. And what I mean by that is hiring people just to check a box. If a person with a disability is more qualified or exceedingly qualified, and you're worried about hiring people with a disability because of the accommodations you have to put in as a business. We, you know, we did a study when I worked at the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and it was interesting because it, it found that accommodations for folks with disabilities, Jonathan, cost less than $500, 80% of accommodations cost less than $500. So if someone with a disability is the best candidate to hire uh, based on the qualifications for a job, Absolutely, I think they should be. I, I, I don't think a, a preferential treatment should be given to people with disabilities, but at the same time, I do think 
that that qualifications, uh, you know, can be uh, altered or adjusted uh, sometimes to fit the, what we talked about earlier about the prosperity model or the competitive uh, advantage model. Uh, the qualifications absolutely uh, uh, it should be an equal playing field for everyone. But but when you hire inclusively and incorporate those with disabilities, then you're really diversifying your workforce and doing the smart thing for your business. That's awesome. Um, I, I'm I'm 100% on board with that. Um, because uh, that's that's how I run my business too. I, I don't care. Like I, I, so long as you can do your job without me um, babysitting you or doing whatever, looking over your shoulder, and I know you're going to get the job done, and it's going to be a hundred percent. You're going to give the full effort. You're on board. You're on board because that's I got a million other things to worry about too. <laughs> and, and when you hire people with disabilities. Sometimes they, they can actually reduce uh, a company's stress level <laughs> because they're used to overcoming obstacles and solving problems and finding solutions to problems and making a more streamlined process, not only uh, for uh, the employer, but also for the, the staff that they're employing. You know, I'll give you a quick story. I uh, recently uh, uh, contributed to an inclusive roundtable about the importance of hiring people with disabilities, and one of um, one of the people on the table uh, on the roundtable was a guy named uh, Tyler uh, Tyler Monroe. He works for a company in Toronto, actually called Agilic, uh, and they help people within the greater a Toronto area in southwestern Ontario find jobs. And he had brought up the story of uh, training someone at a McDonald's and they were unable to, uh, because everything in McDonald's is frozen, so they were unable to decipher what meat went into uh, what, what grill and how to separate things in the refrigerator. So what Tyler did was he went to the dollar store and for three bucks, he bought a package of stickers. And what he did was he uh, went into the kitchen and learned the job. And once he knew what this participant had to do, he put stickered labels on the meat to make the job go faster. So, and at the end of this process, the manager at the McDonald's came up to Tyler and said, oh my God, I don't know why we didn't do this in the first place. You've just made our job so much easier and now we can hire more diverse people. So if you have an environment, again, it's about creating the environment and, and conditions to be successful. And when that happens, you all win because the employee wins, the business wins, and the public you're trying to serve, they also win. So it's, it's a triple thread of how 
it's supposed to work. That's awesome. Uh, do you believe that there could be a tipping point where it becomes too much diversity, too much inclusion, where the company starts to say, you know what, we, we're, we're, we're at this percentage of diversity and inclusion in our company, we need to get it to X amount? No, I don't believe in artificial limits <laughs> or exceeding limits when it comes to inclusion because the world the one thing about lifestyle is it keeps moving even when you want it to stop right um so it's important to uh, always look for, for increased reasons and pathways to diversify because the discussion about diversity equity and inclusion will always continue and there'll always be avenues where you can make businesses work smarter, operate faster, uh, and become more greener, for example, or to, to operate a certain set of um, procedures uh, more inclusively or faster. So in my view, the education of inclusion will always continue. And there's always, there's always room to grow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, that's really good. Uh, when it comes to equity and equality in the, in the workplace, uh, this is an ongoing thing that happens in the workplace. I mean, it's ongoing, it's always evolving. What are some things that you can see mm -hmm. how you could improve um, equality and equity in in the workplace for people with in, with disability with physical disabilities embrace a different perspective and embrace technology you know with with zoom and all of these uh, forms of video conferencing uh, uh, the, the um, traditional way of meeting you know, one of the blessings of COVID, uh, and there weren't many, but <laughs> one of the blessings of COVID was employers finally realized that you, you don't have to have such a rigid expectation of how it's supposed to work. And what I mean by that is, is as long as, like you said earlier, as long as the end product gets done, who the hell cares how you do it? Uh, but, you know, technology and embracing technology has been a real big win for folks with disabilities. Uh, you know, I, I have the opportunity through my podcast to interview people all over the world. And, you know, and I don't even, I, I, I don't have a physical office where I go to. I, I do it in the basement of my house, okay? Uh, so I've, I've talked to people as far away uh, in England. I've also talked to people in, in France, and Thailand, in America, and Canada. So I, I, I think the point I'm trying to make is the more that you embrace doing things differently, 
And the more you get away from the rigidity of perspective is, is what when, when your business or company or, or, or organization will grow the fastest. Because I, I, I think diversity of, 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 of thought and perspective is something that, that folks with intellectual, physical, psychological, and disability disabilities and perspectives can bring to the table because they're used to, again, overcoming uh, challenges and hurdles in both their personal and professional. What I'm pretty much getting from you is, is it's not trying to change the individual that is working for the for the company it's the the way the company has to view um the way it's working and it's something that i've believed and something that actually came into my past when i was given a person with a physical disability as a trainer and i couldn't train this person because of their disabilities uh, this person had spina bifida and um i couldn't get him to do a squat so I had to change and we'll get into this as for trainers, because this is actually quite important for trainers to, to, to understand, uh, from, from what you're saying, from what I'm getting, from what you're saying is that the, the company's got the one that has to change to suit the individual rather than the individual adopting, um, the company. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, all about increasing the uh, conversation about the education of what uh, folks with disabilities can do. Now, obviously, there are certain uh, standards and me metrics you have to meet as a business owner or, or someone who runs an organization. But yeah, it starts with me for with education and what you can educate and have inclusive conversation of belonging as a company, as an organization, or as an executive team, uh, the more progress uh, we can make. So it all starts with uh, embracing the inclusive education piece and really being open, open, open to learning uh, and really uh, still Keeping, still keeping your core principles, but always being open to adapting and adjusting them with the times. You know, with businesses, they, they always adjust with the times. It, for example, if, if, if cash flow isn't the way it's supposed to be, you go to layoffs or you cut salary or uh, when, when to, something happens in the market that allows you to accelerate your business, you take advantage of it. It's the same way with hiring people with uh, disabilities. It's just increasing the knowledge base and the education. So, so employers or, or company owners can operate from a position of strength and we can, we can get into that later about operating from a position of strength, but it starts with education so that uh, companies can operate from a place of strength and understanding. 
Yeah. So like, there has to be some form of balance between the, the, the company and the employee when it comes to that kind of thing. That's what you're trying to allot to? Yeah. Uh, the balance in the sense of don't be so, so rigid in trying to tip the scale on how you always do things because if you open your mind up to adjustment or, or modification in the, the way that you do it, you may often find that the, the people that you're onboarding with the disabilities have a faster or more efficient way for you to do it. For sure. mm -hmm. Yep, I've seen it before. I've seen it before many, many times, uh, especially working as a trainer. It's, it's, there's been a lot. <laughs> um, switching gears a little bit, how important is fitness when it comes to living with a disability, because most of us that, uh, most of us, we don't understand that. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna tell you something that I, uh, you know, my, my, my grandmother, uh, one of my grandmothers, uh, she's 86 years old, uh, and she spent uh, 30 years or so working for the Detroit Public Schools as a uh, educational assistant and helping those with um, disabilities get around. And uh, she always tells me, having a grandson, obviously, with a disability, if you don't use your muscles, you lose them. Uh, and as a part of my disability, my muscles contract faster and I get lactic acid that builds up in my hamstrings if I don't stress them out. So fitness for me is a top priority, not only because it's a good thing to do or, or, or provides me with energy and effort and all of those things that come with uh, exercising, but if I don't use my muscles, that shortens my lifespan to begin with. Um, so I make fitness a top priority because you know I want to be around for as long as I'm blessed to do that. And one of the ways I do that is making fitness a top priority because if I don't, my muscles will die, die involuntarily. So it's important for me to do things like stretching my hamstrings on a regular basis, going for walks is a big one for me uh, to improve my endurance. Uh, swimming is uh, one of the best ways to treat my disability because uh, my muscles are looser in the pool because the gravity is gone. So fitness for me is a big, big deal and uh, I credit my support staff, uh, the people that get I'm paid to hang out with me to make sure that uh, I get my exercise. And obviously, uh, 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 to my family, who, who holds me accountable uh, for, uh, to my own uh, fitness expectations. But fitness, indeed, is a big priority for me, for sure. No, that's awesome. Um, me, personally, I've been in the gyms for the past 30 years. 
Yes, 30 years. And it's been very rare that I see a person with physical uh, disabilities walking into the gym or walking or getting into the gym. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think that uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I think that normal or, or, or mainstream gyms aren't set up for, quite frankly, they're not set up for people to uh, succeed if they have a disability. Uh, every disability is different, and unless you specialize into helping folks with disabilities. Uh, it, it's some of the equipment or modifications that you have to make to fitness equipment is very expensive. Uh, and gym owners or, or people who run fitness clubs, they, they have to uh, evaluate their, their value proposition. So if, if, if they modify a piece of equipment for someone with a disability to use it, then an able-bodied person wouldn't be able to use that same piece of equipment. So I think it's a value proposition for health club owners and the return on the investment they would would get if they did that. Now, having said that, I do think uh, business owners or 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 fitness people, uh, if they want to make uh, training or allowing uh, folks with disabilities to uh, train from a phys physical perspective, I think that's great. And, and most of the time, uh, people with disabilities. Um, have to advocate for themselves. So I think it starts with uh, creating a safe space to have conversations about uh, making fitness a priority and then building that community of support um, that allows business owners to, to welcome a more uh, inclusive uh, crowd or audience to the fitness space. Now that's interesting because I've worked for many. I've personally worked for many big box gyms uh, in Toronto when I was there. Um, the first uh, person with a physical disability that I worked with was blind, could not see completely. So, um, and my boss asked me if I wanted to take him on. I was like, yes, absolutely, because I can't show the client what I wanted him to do. I actually had to physically show him with my hands. Um, I had another client who had spina bifida and only had only 1% of activity in the lower extremities. And I had, even though that they were inside the, the big box gym, um, I had to change my style. Do you think it's important for... Um, gym owners to say, you know what, I think it might be a good idea to train my trainers to deal with people with disabilities, or at least get them to um, be exposed to that. So because it gave me a huge different outlook on how I can train people. 
Uh, the short answer to your question is yes. <laughs> because no, because then you you then open yourself up to, to a new business model or a new business stream, and you you allow yourself to be marketable as an inclusive workplace or, and an inclusive place for people that look like me and have the same level of physical ability uh, to feel included in the sense of environment. So I think if you are if you are open to training your staff and training yourself and open yourself up to not only a new business model, uh, which allows you to make more money, it allows you to also broaden your perspective of the possible as well. I'll tell you one thing. Like once I when I left uh, when I left that big box gym with the guy with uh, spina bifida, he came running back. Well, he came he came uh, right behind. He was like right behind me. Like when I left, he was like at the next gym with me. And none of the gyms, like you said, none of the gyms are set up for uh, people who are in wheelchairs or have to have walkers. But again, like it's not the gym, it's not at the gym level. I think it, for me personally, it has to be at the trainer level. The trainer has to be able to be uh, accommodating for, 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 for people. Yes, but I, I, I will push back uh, just in this sense. It's on the gym to, to create the environment to allow these people to come in. So whether it's training the trainers or or buying adaptive equipment, you know, I always say, Jonathan, that, that people in life make time for the things that they find important. And and most of the time, if you train your trainer on how these things work, you're again building a sense of community and self-confidence in those persons that you're training. So it is on the gym to have the wherewithal to train the trainer. Because once you train the trainer, um, while all disabilities are different, at least then you would have a framework to attempt to try things that works for, for other people with similar disabilities. Uh, so it's about creating a framework to be successful and, and really embracing, uh, giving the people with disabilities the independence to advocate for their own fitness. And when you do that, you build friendships, community, and you, you cut down on the so the social exclusion that I talked about earlier. So it's a win-win for the business, the trainer, and the person that's being trained or people that are being trained as well. It, it's, it's interesting because uh, it's interesting that you said that, that, that it builds a, a stronger community because when I was training this client uh, who had spina bifida, I had behind the scenes, behind the scenes. And people were coming up to me, shaking my hand for training this person. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, 
I didn't change him. I had to change in order to train him because I had to change. I had to re I had to re change the way I'm thinking about, you know, how do I train people? And, um, and uh, there are like there, the people around me, like they were always, they were always really nice. And it, it was really nice to see that, that everybody was like, you know, pleasant, kind, they were, they're willing to give up the equipment so I could train my client. And they always treated him like part of a quote unquote family. And that's what I, that's what I really noticed about with, with, with people. Uh, do you notice that people are a little bit more um, friendlier, kinder, more willing to give you a helping hand? You were asking me about uh, changing the perspective of, of people and uh, having, when they see something, um, uh, when people with disabilities are training in the gym, because it's happened with me and my support staff. Uh, people come up to my support staff, the people who are in, in charge of, 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 of making sure that I have a life outside of my house. And they're like, you're doing such a great job on training Kevin to be inclusive and physically fit. And, and you know, uh, my, my support staff and I, I've always said that I'm just helping him live his life. It's not something that should be applauded, but I understand why it is because it's uh, changing the attitudinal barrier. Uh, and yes, to your second point about building, you know, I call it building bridges of inclusion. And by building the family atmosphere or, or aspect, uh, from a fitness level, you're also uh, creating additional social uh, capital uh, for that person inside and outside of the gym. Because uh, when when you see that sense of family, uh, they're more, they're more apt to say, "Let's invite." Uh, I'll use myself as an example. Let's invite. Kevin for a barbecue, or let me learn how I can uh, help Kevin attend a pool party, for example. So when you build a community of support, you're also building a, a community of, or a bank of social capital where, where that person with disabilities can also a recast that check with that same group of people in hopes of building additional social capital of that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally, totally believe that. Um, and so something that I first, I was firsthand experienced myself. I'm like, people are, you know, giving me, you know, high fives and shaking my hand. And I'm like, dude, I'm just doing what I, I'm just doing my job because, you know, I, I, <laughs> he's a customer and I got to give him the best, the best service possible with what, with what, with what he has. So um, on the flip side, I did, this is something that I want to touch up before, but it kind of slipped my mind, but I want to get your perspective on it. 
when it comes to bullying, uh, bullying is a big part of the workplace, whether you're dis disabled or not. I I'm sure with disabled people, the bullying is a little bit more because they're not quote unquote up to par with everybody else. How would you address um, somebody being bullied, not just in the workplace, but also in the personal life, in their personal life? Well, I, I think when you talk about bullying, uh, you know, it affects everyone involved. Uh, I, you know, oftentimes, bullying in the workplace comes from a lack of understanding uh, of, about uh, disabilities and how they work. And, you know, there are instances where where accommodations are made in the workplace and people stare and snicker and do all of it. But, you know, again, I, I view obstacles in any form of life, whether they're in the employment field or in societal life, as an opportunity to create a learning experience. Now, some people that you're you're just not going to change their attitudinal perspective. But if you put someone with a disability in a job, hopefully, uh, and it doesn't always happen, but when I did this, uh, one of the, the things that I look for is the ability to form a partnership. Because when you form a partnership, Jonathan, you, you form a sense of understanding. So bullying starts with, again, increasing uh, or stopping bullying in the work, workplace. Starts with increasing the level of understanding. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I think we have to do a better job of, of staff to employee training uh, when, when people are onboarding on a company and, and when we go over the diversity, equity and inclusion expectations, you know, I think bullying should be added to that. Because when you bully someone with a disability, it affects every aspect of their life. So I think to end it in both societal and the workplace, you have to increase uh, the level of conversation, the level of education, and the level of perspective. Because if you're unwilling to change your perspective, then changing the way you're, you're educating people to reach them becomes fruitless. Because if they're not willing to open up your mind, uh, then, then creating conditions of success. I'm, I mean, what you know, we're we're always taught that that companies have limited resources in most cases. So that's why creating partnerships and bullying is so important. Creating the partnership will end the cycle of inclusion. So it's about creating partnerships 
and increasing understanding. Awesome. Um, the, in one way, I in a in a big way, I agree with you. But in another way, it is a human condition. Uh, you know, you have some people out there that think that they're better than others, and it's been going on for eons. It's it, it's like for me, it's like the you know the you know the ever story of pulling up pushing up that uh that boulder up up the endless hill um uh, uh, yeah uh, uh, sorry to cut you off but it, it's it's again the attitudinal barrier you're not going to change every person and, and some people are just rigid in this thing the attitudinal barrier if someone's not willing to recognize that, then you can change all the policy and perspective and procedure you want. But if the attitude doesn't change the person, you're right, then progress would be, would be minimal. And, and oftentimes, the people that are unwilling to change their attitude or perspective on a, a particular issue there's a root cause of why they're not willing to do that and not willing to address whatever problem that they, they have personally. So I do agree with you, changing attitudes for some people are, are going to be a never ending struggle. But if, if we don't at least try to push that boulder up that proverbial hill, then you know, I'm, I'm an alternative optimist. I, I try to look at uh, the positive side of everything. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, so Jonathan, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So I have an identical twin brother. And Keith and I were both born with cerebral palsy. Uh, and my brother Keith, uh, we're a minute apart, uh, he's the older brother. Um, my brother Keith grew out of his cerebral palsy at four months old. And Keith and I recently did a podcast together called A Life Worth Living. And the podcasting interviewer, who happened to be my coordinating professor when I was in the journalism and uh, journalism uh, in college uh, asked my brother if he had regrets or if he uh, felt guilty about having uh, the ability to do able-bodied things. And he said, yes, because I wasn't uh, included in certain things because of my disability. But then um, my brother told the interviewer that it was a chance for him to really look at ways of how to adapt perspective. And you know, I'm not gonna be able to do everything from a physical perspective that you are, Jonathan. But what I can do is look at it as an opportunity for advancement 
of other ways and look at where the barrier is and how I can eliminate the barrier. You know, I tell my support staff all the time that it may, may not always be graceful, but as long as it's effective and works for me, then the end result is the same, but the roadmap to get there might just look a little bit different. I love it. I love it. That, that's great. Um, we're actually coming up close to the end of the show. Um, and I, this is these seven or eight questions I ask all my guests uh, on these top on these general topics, and I'd like to get your perspective on them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We can do a speed round for sure. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, with the increase in people that are suffering from depression from the constant uncertainty that we're that we've been living in the last two years, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Always remember that prosperity is on the other side of everything that is difficult. You know, I always say that anything worth having is difficult to obtain because if it was easy, we'd all be billionaires and, and would have and into work. But if you are depressed or if you are struggling with something, always remember that prosperity is on the other side of the struggle. And if you're willing to persevere through the struggle, prosperity will What's the one thing that you do daily that amplifies your ability to stay focused? Um, besides not uh, focusing my attention on being a Detroit Lions fan all the time. Um, no, uh, I, I look at life as an opportunity uh, to create conversation. So even, even when, I, when I'm struggling with something or if I need personal motivation, I always remember that the, the only person that will fight for my level of success is me. So the thing that keeps me going is failure and disappointment is going to come for everybody. It's the idea that fighting through the adversity and the failure will allow you to prosper on the other side. So what keeps me going is the fact that I believe in my own authentic abilities. And what keeps me going is that the societal perspective is better because I have a view that is different from everybody else. That's awesome. Um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Uh, if I could, oh, that's, uh, so I, I'm, I'm 33 now. Um, so when I uh, was 20, um, I would probably tell myself uh, the one thing I, I would tell myself is just keep moving forward. 
because if you keep moving forward, then eventually the law of averages will go in your favor. It doesn't always go in your favor. You know, I always say everything in life happens exactly when it's supposed to happen. You know, it may be frustrating not to achieve something at the instant that you may want it. But everything in life will happen exactly when it's supposed to happen. So I would tell myself that uh, my 20 year old self to just keep moving. That's awesome. Uh, looking back, would you change anything? As far as as far as the, um, sorry, as far as, you know, looking back to your 20 year old self to right now, would you change anything? No, because it's a part of my authentic story. Everything in life happens for a reason. You know, I left a job that I really, really liked, but I wasn't affected. And at the end of the job, I looked at myself and I said, is the value of the paycheck worth the value of my prosperity? And I said, no. Uh, and I left the job. Not because I didn't like what I was doing. It's because the conditions that I put myself in for success didn't result in the result that I wanted. But to answer the question, uh, I wouldn't change anything because it's a part of my authentic story. What scares you? Um, the fear of being complacent. I always tell myself that there's always something to do. You know, any part of my success is because I refuse to accept complacency as an answer. That is, whether it be in my personal or professional life. So what scares me is, and I'm not going to say nothing because that's not the truth, but what scares me is the value of knowing the fear of complacency and not falling under the trap of watching Netflix or watching movies all day because I'm feeling sorry for myself and I want to eat as much apple pie as I can consume in one sitting. So, what, what, what scares me is the fear of complacency. And I work every day to try to be 1% better than I was the day before. That's great. Um, where do you see, let's have this conversation in the next five years? I was anticipating that question, so here's my answer. Uh, so uh, what I want to do with the podcast is turn it into a national talk show. Uh, and get paid to talk to people about issues that, that matter most to, to them, whether it be in their personal, professional, or societal life. So the answer to that question is I want to turn these um, 
podcast into a nationally syndicated podcast. Wow. I can't wait to watch it. I'm me too. <laughs> uh, what about you personally? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Um, five years. Well, as I told you, I, I, I want to uh, um, host a talk show. I also, one of my life and career goals is to eventually move down to Orlando, Florida. I love Orlando. I love Florida as a state. So one of the, my goals in five years is to hopefully move down to Orlando and start a life there. Um, but I, I want to use my platform to always encourage inclusion. Because when you encourage inclusion, you encourage the possibility of the endless uh, prosperity. Not only for yourself, but for other people. So uh, for myself in five years, I want to be in a position where I can create as many avenues for inclusion for as many people as possible. Very cool. Uh, you're going to bring endless opportunities to the endless summer. I love it. Uh, well, yes. Uh, and hopefully I can uh, uh, get an endless supply of shorts when I move down to Florida. <laughs> uh, where can people find more about you? Uh, yeah, so everything about my life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is on uh, KevinMcShan.com. All of uh, the links, the emails, my social media accounts are on my website. So just visit uh, KevinMcShan.com and you can learn all about me. Great. And we will post all the links that you sent us uh, with the show notes so everybody has easy access to you and your content. Fabulous. I'm looking forward to sharing the uh, information and uh, interview that we had today, Jonathan. And I want to uh, thank you for allowing me the platform to engage in conversation. You're doing great work with this podcast. And it was a real honor and pleasure uh, to be with you this afternoon. So uh, it's most appreciated, Bonnie. Of course, of course. I'm always happy to uh, be interviewing like intriguing guests like you. Uh, Kevin, you have a very unique perspective to a lot of problems, quote unquote problems that uh, people people live uh, people are living through, and COVID was one of those reality slaps in the face that a lot of people got. And for you to be able to um, have your perspective uh, on on this interesting and most complex light is next level. So thank you so much for all the hard work that you're doing. Keep doing the keep doing the work yourself, because it's critical. It's critical even for people without physical disabilities to to be listening to your show, and to be looking at your work, uh, and and for you to be giving your perspective on things. It's it's at this time and juncture in life. It's critical. Thank you so much, and I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity and the invitation. And uh, certainly, uh, Jonathan, I, I'd love to extend the same invitation to you for you to be on my podcast. 
podcast. But for now, Bonnie, I, I want to thank you again for having me. And, you know, I, I end all of my uh, uh, podcasting interviews by telling my guests have a great day to make uh, the most difference, Bonnie. So have a great day. Uh, make the most difference in the world that they can today and try 1% harder tomorrow. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. I will, I will do the best that I can. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Hey, everybody, it's John from Resilient Reboot Productions and the Fitness Oracle. Thank you for watching this episode, and I really hope that you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell, and share this video if you are watching this on YouTube or on Rumble. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast Breaker, or whatever streaming service that you may be using, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review as it will help us reach more people that are suffering from mental health issues. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to join us on Pod Inbox. This is a great platform that we can keep the conversation going. Over the years, we've discovered that the best way to help people regain their confidence back of whatever fitness goal that they are looking for is to put together a tight-knit community that will be here to support you in that journey. So in order for us to do that, we are partnering up with Pod Inbox to help us create that platform and give you that opportunity to uh, have your voice. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes and get your set up your free account on Pod Inbox right now, and let's hear your voice. So I can't wait to start talking to you guys there. It's going to be a it's a great platform for all of us to get together and discuss the issues that are that we're suffering from. Until then, I'll see you guys soon.